0: Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, in Melbourne, Florida. It would be better for you before
1: you're critical, before you're negative, before you're destroying your children, before you're preaching from the pulpit, all kinds of negative stuff and never balancing it with God's love. It would be better just to take that thing... Put it on your neck and jump off. Because jumping off and going to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, when that millstone is better than the judgment you're going to get from God. You say, I don't like to read those kind of things. That's why God did it. Now, see, at the start of the church, he knew the importance of those 12 getting humility right.
0: Hell is a real place, and so is heaven. These two places have been brushed off as punchlines to jokes these days. They aren't taken seriously, but they should. In today's message, Pastor Mark will encourage us to share this fact with others. You see, where we will spend eternity is determined by the choices we make now. If we choose to submit to God and walk with Him, if we accept His Son as our Savior, then we have an eternity in heaven to look forward to. On the other hand, if we lean on our own understanding, if we follow our flesh, if we reject the truth of God's Word, if we reject Jesus then hell will be our eternal home. And it's no laughing matter, friend. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 42. For part 1...
1: This morning, we're going to talk about salt and fire, and then another word that you don't hear very often in church. It's a little four-letter word called hell. Let's look at verse 42 of chapter 9. The first, and I encourage you to take notes on the overhead this morning, is walk as a stepping stone, not as a stumbling block. Verse 42. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Jesus brought his disciples into a house, probably Peter's, and he was talking to them about their attitude. They had been arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're wrong. You shouldn't even be talking about those things. We're all basically equal. And in that passage of really discipline to his disciples, he took a little child and he put the child on his lap. And in that teaching, Jesus said to them, if you give a cup of cold water, even to one of these little ones, There's a reward in it for you if you do it right. Even a cup of cold water. And then he says in this verse here, he says there is a great reward for you in giving a cup of cold water. But then he says there's a different outcome if you stumble one of these little ones. So if you want to be rewarded, do a good deed. But if you stumble a little one, you're not going to be rewarded. In fact, you're going to be judged very harshly. And listen to the harshness that he talks about. Now, who are these little ones? Jesus said, if you stumble a little one. Well, I believe there's three different categories this morning of these little ones. The first are children. Children that are coming to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kids in our Sunday school area. Children of yours in your home. Grandchildren. Little children that are innocent and just full of faith and want to believe the right things. Jesus said, if you stumble one of these, there's great harm for you. The second group of little ones that I believe we can include in here are those who are young in the faith. We have many, many brand new Christians, whether you're a young person or been 70 years and never came to the Lord, you just came to the Lord recently. Peter says, we have many young ones and they desire the milk of the word, babes in Christ. I believe if you're young in the faith this morning, that's who Jesus is talking to. And thirdly, I believe there's some Christians, they may have been Christians a long time, but your temperament and your personality is such that you just accept everything that comes down the pike. You're you're just an accepting person. You're pretty... Easy and anything you watch on TV that's Christian or any person you hear, you just you just assume it and you take it, and you take it for all it's worth, and you don't check it out, you just, just that's just your personality. You're kind of really spiritually naive. Now, I wish we didn't have those kind of people. I wish you would check it out. And let me share with you, anytime you hear the word of God taught on television, radio, hear from this pulpit, any other pulpit, you take your Bible and check it out. You make sure it's right. Just don't swallow everything here because there's many things that are given as the Word of God that are not the Word of God. But those are the three categories that Jesus is mentioning here. And what he says is, all of them, number one, are believers. So whether it's a child in your home, a grandchild, young person, a young person in the faith, somebody, no matter their age, they're a brand new Christian, or those who are just kind of trusting by nature. Jesus says this, and you'll see it on the overhead. Disciples are vulnerable. And stumbling blocks are a real danger. So, what Jesus is trying to say is, disciples, the 12 of you, I placed you here to be a great example, to be a stepping stone, so that when people look at your life, they go, I get it. I understand it. The Bible's real. I can tell by that person's life that a walk with God is good, it's a great thing. And what Jesus is saying is, when I placed you here, These 12 disciples, I'm leaving the church in your hands. And how you treat other people, especially believers, is very important. And what he's really saying is, you've blown it. Disciples, you've been a stumbling block. Do you remember? The disciples had been walking on the road. They had just failed to cast out a demon. As they failed and they came along, they saw another person who was a believer, but not of the original 12. He was casting out demons and successful. Do you remember what John said? We went over to that man and said, cut it out. Stop casting out demons. You're not part of us. How dare you do what we're supposed to do? And Jesus said to them, basically, you know what you've done to that man? By the way, Christianity is brand new, so this is a new believer. It was just a few years old. He said, you've stumbled that man. That young believer, by your harsh criticism, by your jealousy, you have stumbled that man. So what Jesus is trying to say is, disciples, you've missed it. I put you here to be an example. You should have been over and saying to that guy, right on. Good job. We don't know you, but we know you're a Christian. Nice work. Wonderful. Good to have you working with us in the kingdom of God. In other words, encourage them, build them up. But what did they do? They stumbled them. You see, a young Christian doesn't need a critical older believer bombarding them with negative things. We've had many people, and I was raised in a denomination that balanced much over the last few years, and I'm glad for it. When I was being raised... You define a Christian as the things you didn't do versus the things that you did. And the more things you didn't do, the more holy you were. How many know that doesn't work? And you would be proud of all these things that I didn't do, but you had nothing in you that was good. So this is what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. He says, you're supposed to be people of influence. You're here, and there's a great danger of a Christian stumbling other new Christians. Look at your own life this morning. If you've been serving God for a while, do you build people up? Are you a stepping stone to God's grace or are you always critical and negative and yelling at people as a believer? When you see new people come to Jesus Christ, you say, what's wrong with your lifestyle? What have you been doing over there? You can't be doing that. I mean, if you were a real Christian, you'd be doing this. It really encourages me over and over again. Many people come to our fellowship and in this day and age, many people are living together. The world says it's okay. They don't even know that the Bible speaks against that if you're not married. Well, what I see happening, again, repeatedly in our fellowship, is as people come and they just hear the word of God, they'll make an appointment in the office, they'll come in, they'll get the explanation why you shouldn't live together, they separate, they become Christians, they go through the marriage counseling, they get married and they come back together. And the world thinks, you're crazy. But they go, no, we're doing it right, the way God told us to do it. Now, So nobody stands at the back door and says, married? Living together? Single. (laughs) Step over to this corner here. Step over to this corner here. Okay, Pastor Mark, these are the ones. Okay, this morning over here, you guys are living together. Cut it out. No, you don't do that. You let the Holy Spirit do that. Do you know this morning you're not the Holy Spirit? That's right. His conviction comes through what? Through the Word of God. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, what you just did, you've discouraged That young Christian... Now, the young Christian, by the way, was actually more mature than the disciples. That's a little discouraging, isn't it? You see, often I see that. Do you know sometimes the younger Christian has more zeal and more wisdom than some of the older people? Because they're negative, critical, complaining, and have these guidelines that they think are there. Who else is he talking about? I believe he's talking to parents and grandparents, little ones. Let me ask you this morning, parent... Are you an encourager to your children or do you discourage them? As they're finding their way to God, are you a stepping stone or are you stumbling them? Well, my kid wants to read the Bible at night when I'm time. I mean, you know, my husband and I, we're both working and we just don't have time for the kids who do that. They can find it in Sunday school. Hey, the greatest privilege you'll ever have as a parent is leading your own child to Jesus Christ. I mean, you brought him into the world. Stop and be right. Now, I'm only just talking to parents. By the way, we're going to one of those weeks we'll spend on families. we go through this. I'm not just talking to parents. Because, you know, I'm a grandparent now, and as it goes on, kids leave home, but they seem to come back again and whatever. They just, they just, they never leave home, do they? So as a grandparent, as a grandparent, you can be a very negative influence. You're always griping about your kids, and hey, doing this and doing that and doing whatever. Now, realize... Teenagers and young kids, whatever, they're a standard. There's fences that God puts around, and parents are to give there to definitely say, here's where you to be. Now, all you kids that are here, and maybe some of your younger kids going, give it to my mom and give it to my dad or whatever. Well, later on, we'll see that it says, you want to live a long life? Obey your parents. Now, some of you are going to die real young. <laughs> so there's balance, isn't it? Uh-huh. So when we go through this, understand Jesus is saying to you as a parent, if I would ask your teenager, if I would ask your seven-year-old, are you an encourager to them, parent, or do you discourage your kids? Do you challenge them? Ah, we don't want to go to the service. Well, Dad, I really want to go to Dad. We don't get time for that. What are you doing? You're stumbling your children. And God help us for those false doctrines and things that are out there that are really stumbling little kids. So the parents have to be careful, the grandparents have to be be examples. Just an average Christian, you and me. But there's a third category here, and I believe it speaks to those of us that have public ministries of teaching. So as a pastor, as somebody that's teaching the Word of God, we have a great responsibility of presenting the Word of God as Jesus would. What if this morning I came to passage 9, like we are, in the last part of these five or seven verses here, and I said to you, well, you know, I really don't like to talk about hell. So we're just kind of going to miss it this week, and we're going on to chapter 10, where I would like to talk about marriage, because I love teaching on marriage. I've been teaching on marriage for 30, some. I love teaching on marriage. I need it, I need to tune up, and I love teaching on it, because it's such a sore subject, it's such a great subject of need. But you know, the subject this morning is hell. It's not my subject, it's God's subject. I would be remiss if I didn't teach on it. I'd be wrong. So I present it, hopefully, the way God would, the way Jesus would. So Jesus said to the disciples, If you're going to be harsh, if you're going to be a negative person... If you're going to offend the little one, or a new believer, or you're going to teach wrong doctrine, it would be better for you to take this millstone. And if you go to Capernaum with us, you'll see this huge millstone outside the old church there in in Capernaum. And it's not a little grinder kind of thing, but a millstone is this huge stone that a donkey would carry around. He'd pour grain in it, and it just takes the kernels and just puts them into flour. The disciples knew what he was talking about. Because in those days, when you wanted to take a person, and you wanted to punish them and actually kill them, they would take that millstone... Smaller one, tied around their neck, and they put them in the sea of Galilee, right to the bottom. Now, we don't have a picture of that, but if any of you are old enough to remember Laurel and Hardy, they used to put them in the cement. You remember that? And just drop them right off the whatever. Those of you that are old, don't say it, because they know how old you are. Somebody told me about that. I don't remember that at all. But <laughs> So what Jesus says is this. If you're going to do that, it would be better for you before you're critical, before you're negative, before you're destroying your children, before you're preaching from the pulpit all kinds of negative stuff and never balancing it with God's love, it would be better just to take that thing, put it on your neck, and jump off. Because jumping off and going to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, with that millstone is better than the judgment you're going to get from God. You say, I don't like to read those kind of things. That's why God did it. Now see, at the start of the church, he knew the importance of those 12 getting humility right. Getting the balance of God's word right. This morning, you need to be encouraged. Don't you like to be encouraged? Don't you like to have somebody say something good about you? I do. Honestly, we need that. And let me ask you this morning, just simply, as a Christian, do you encourage other Christians or do you tear them down? Parents, are you building your children up or tearing them down? And if you're a teacher this morning, indeed, are you using people, manipulating people, serving people. That's what Jesus said. And the disciples had blown it. The next thing we see is Jesus says, walk in self-discipline. Don't only be a stepping stone, don't be a stumbling block, but you have to walk in self-discipline. Jesus goes on to his disciples and he says, you know what I just said to you, it's very important you don't stumble other people by your negative attitudes. But then he says this, it's very possible for you to stumble yourself. Ever stumble yourself? Walking kind of dumb or whatever? Yes. The walk of a disciple is always a battle against the flesh or the natural desires of man. The reason I have to discipline myself is because I have this old sinful nature in me called the flesh. Romans 7 says to me, I'm to reckon the old flesh dead. It's dead. And I should be raised in newness of life. How many know that the old flesh, even though it's in this coffin, somehow raises its head out of the coffin to tempt us? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody tempted this last week at all? How many experienced that this week, a little temptation? You know the old man isn't always dead, is it? So that's what Jesus is talking about here. There has to be some self-discipline in your life, because this old nature, even though it is gone, it is still there. It, until we go to heaven, it's still there tempting me to sin, so... He gives three illustrations here that are very poignant. Look at it. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, simply cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. What in the world is Jesus talking about? When you see the eye, Jesus is trying to use by these three analogies the whole body. When you look at your eye this morning, what Jesus says, what you see might tempt you. Things you look at might tempt you. It's your ambition or your cravings, your desire. You drive down, you see this new car, you see this restaurant, you're at the beach, you see this swimming suit. Well, whatever it is, that, the eye is an area of temptation. Then he says the hand. That's whatever I do, the things I do with my hand, my lifestyle. And then he says the foot. That's where you go, your walk. You may be walking in the wrong places. So he says you can be tempted by these. And really what he says here is whatever in your lives would cause you to stumble and to stop serving God, you have to deal drastically with it. Now, notice who has to deal with it. It's your foot, it's your eye, it's your hand. Say to me this morning, me, myself, and I. Go ahead. Me, myself, and I. Now, who is that? Me, myself, and I. You see, when other people sin, I like to do this. You're wrong. But Jesus says, I'm not telling you to point your finger at the other 12 disciples. Who's he talking to? Me, myself. and I. In other words, I have to deal with my own sin, my own self-discipline. It's my hand, it's my eye, it's my foot. Those of you that do marriage counseling, marriage counseling is this. When a couple comes in, they always go and I say, you know, what's the problem? It's always the other person. So when we negate that, and I say, I don't want to hear any of that, what can you do that would make it better in the marriage? Then they go, well, I don't think we want to be here. Let's leave or whatever. They don't like that because it's me, myself, and I. So what Jesus says here, don't start looking at other people. Don't look at the other disciples. Don't for sure look at this other guy that was casting out demons. What I'm saying is, you can stumble yourself. And here's the areas where you can stumble yourself by things you see, by your lifestyle, by what you do with your hands. Now, it looks pretty drastic when it says here, cut them off. What is Jesus speaking about? What he's saying is this. It's a, in the Bible or in, in theology, it's this. It's exaggeration for emphasis. He's saying, here's an example of how, how drastic you need to deal with the sin in your life. Now, we're not sin conscious. We're grace conscious. But sin still will destroy you. So here's what he says. Now, notice Jesus is not saying in this verse, "Go ahead and mutilate yourself physically." It is a shame, but through history, we've had people that have studied this passage and done what Jesus said. I was reading this week of a, an actual true story of a young man who cut off his hand, and he bandaged it, bandaged it, and came to the pastor, the priest—I can't remember which one it was—and he says. I have done that which now pleases God. This isn't what Jesus says. I mean, if it was, if every time we sinned, we cut off our hand, plucked out our eye, or our feet, what kind of people would we look like? Huh? Well, number one, we wouldn't know what we look like. (laughs) We'd have no eyes, no hands, and no feet. And that was just from Sunday to Monday. See, Jesus didn't say the problem is your hand or your eye or your feet. Where is the problem? It's a heart. That's why we need a heart transplant, see? That's what God's trying to say. So it isn't this self-mutilation kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about. But he says there is some drastic things. Understand this in your life this morning. Sin is like a cancer that destroys people's lives. You see, the wages of sin... Is death. Nothing good comes from sinning in your life. And that's why I have to deal with it. And that's why Jesus really here was talking about pride and negative. Jesus says, if there's a sin error in your life, disciple, you need prompt action. If I went into the hospital and I was having trouble with his hand, and it was just sore down here, and I went in and had all my... Test and MRIs and CAT scans and everything from A to Z and all the tests. And the doctor came back, the surgeon, and he says, well, i got good news and bad news. The bad news is there's cancer in your hand. It's spreading rapidly. The good news is this. From our test, we know it has not gone beyond the wrist. But to be safe, we're going to amputate your arm. Now, if we do this, I can guarantee you that it will save your life because it hasn't gone past here. I can guarantee you that. What would you do? Would you save your life for your arm? Tough decision, isn't it? If you knew that was the only thing that would save your life, you'd do it. So here's what Jesus says. You need to deal with that just as drastically. A personal sin in your life as having this off. So if there's an area of your life that's going to eventually destroy you, it's better that you enter heaven cutting that relationship out, cutting that situation out, than end up in hell with it. You see, it's just a matter of ifs. And choices, and Jesus says it's going to take some drastic action in your life. And by the way, you and I are the one that do that. So what's Jesus saying is this. If you're here this morning and you're in a relationship, if you're a Christian, you're dating a non-Christian, it's wrong. You say, what do you mean it's wrong? Well, if you keep dating, you will marry that person. And you will then be unequally yoked.
0: No one wants to talk about death and the afterlife. But it's something that we must all consider. In today's message, we were reminded that there are only two destinations to choose from. One is heaven, the other is hell. And the decisions we make now will determine where we will end up. If you want to go to heaven, there's only one way, and that's through the cleansing blood of Jesus. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, we'll be reminded where our hope comes from. Pastor Mark will share with us that it's the message of the gospel that gives us hope. There's nothing else on this earth that can promise an eternity in the presence of God. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved and forgiven. It's only through Him that we can have access to our Heavenly Father. We wish we had more time today, but we'll have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.